Welcome to r slash, a podcast where I read the best posts from across Reddit. Today's subreddit is r slash malicious compliance, where a teacher recruits her students to help her take down a company. Our next Reddit post is from Storymaker. When I was in 8th grade, I was in the first year of an experimental technology school. I had a class of about 180 8th graders, all 12 to 14 years old, and about 10 teachers. So everybody shared the same math teacher. For our first semester, we used a software called Gage. It was alright for most classes, but it was absolutely atrocious when it came to math. Nothing worked with math. We were supposed to use the lessons they had, but it just didn't work. Math symbols didn't show up right, and some questions even had the wrong answer marked. Our math teacher wasn't allowed to switch lessons to paper, and the company insisted that the problem was that our math teacher was older and just didn't understand technology. They said that if she had a genuine issue to email them. One day I get to class, and there are seven email addresses written on the board. She told us that we're going to go through our math lesson today and take screenshots of every mistake we found and email them to the company's executives. One screenshot equals one email. 10 emails equals a packet of gummy bears. We had a blast trying to send as many emails as we could. One kid got 10 packets of gummy bears by the end of our one hour class. By lunch, the principal called the teacher aside and asked her to stop. She said, hell no, my afternoon classes haven't had their fun yet. Long story short, our school district got all of its money back from using the software and the company no longer exists. Or they changed their brand out of shame. I don't know. I just can't find them anymore. This reminds me of a funny tweet I saw recently. The size of a gummy bear compared to a gummy worm implies some really horrifying things about the gummy universe. Our next Reddit post is from Calidus. Back in the days when 33.6 Kabibips modems were hot stuff, I worked for the engineering department of a growing company. The company had started small. It was privately owned, and the VPs had all put in a portion of their own money to start the company. By this time in the story, they were finally making a respectable 30 to 40 million a year in profits. But they still acted like a small company. They pinched pennies. Our engineering department was designing circuit boards with embedded computer systems. And to program these, instead of soldering the microcomputer to the board, we would solder on a microcontroller socket and then plug in an in-circuit emulator that would pretend it was a microcontroller, which would allow the programmer to create the required program. It was a mess. It gave our tiny IT department headaches, and it cost $15,000. It was an absolute necessity for our most popular product lines, and there was only one of them. To top it all off, we were renting it at $4,000 a month. The first month we had it, our CTO and marketing VP planned our whole new product to line around this family of microcontrollers. So at the end of the month, our engineers asked management to buy it for us since we would be using it for a while. The engineering VP saw the price tag and told us to just rent it. Surely we'd be done with it soon. Engineers, being practical, forgot about the objection and just put our noses to the wheel. After a year, the VP of Finance asked us about this reoccurring contract line item. They called the engineer who had originally started the contract. The engineer helpfully forwarded the approval from the engineering VP and his later email asking to buy it and the VP's reply where he demurred. By the end of the week, this toy was ours. Along with the second one, since finance determined the product rollout was being affected by not enough access to the equipment. Hitachi just gave us the first one, stopped charging us and never asked for it back. We paid 15k for a second one. No one got fired or demoted. But at the next department meeting, the engineering VP tried to tell us that we didn't have enough money to upgrade our PCs. That one engineer spoke up. Would $40,000 cover it? The company found the money. Our next Reddit post is from Vitalik. 20 years ago, my brother lived by himself about an hour away from where my mom and I lived. 
I'm much younger than my brother. We lived in a rural area while my brother lived in the nearest city. Whenever my mom had to go into the city, she'd pick him up and they'd just spend time together. My brother had a really bad habit on these occasions to wait until my mom was already there and then get out of bed, shower, get dressed, and then meet her outside for them to do whatever they were doing that day. This process would take anywhere from 10 minutes to half an hour, which would eat into the time mom was willing to spend in the city. One day, mom arranged to see him and he just said, Okay, just text me when you're here. The next day, she texted him, I'm here as she was leaving her house, an hour away from my brother's. So my brother got up, got showered, dressed, and went to stand outside looking for her car. After waiting for about 15 minutes or so, he finally rang her to find out where she was parked. Parked? I'm not parked anywhere. I'm still driving. But you texted me that you're here. I am here. You're there. I'll be there in about 15 minutes. Are you ready? Yeah, I've been ready for 15 minutes and waiting outside for you. Oh good, I won't have to wait this time. See you in a moment. On that occasion, mom was able to get on with her day immediately. Since then, my brother did end up getting dressed in time for my mom getting there, but he's still perpetually and habitually late to this day 20 years later. Down in the comments, we have this story from Lucky Ken. I used to go out with a girl who was late for everything. One time we were going to the movie theater to see something, we had to be there by 7pm. It's a 30 minute drive to the cinema. I arrive at her house at 6pm and she hasn't even started to get ready. At 6.15 she's picking out what to wear. At 6.25, she's just getting into the shower. At 6.55, she calls me to see where I am, and I tell her, I'm at the movie theater. She was never late again. Our next Reddit post is from Catwing Uterus. I'm a 22-year-old woman. I live with my parents, but I'm moving out in a couple of weeks, so my mother and I have been bumping heads a lot. The biggest things we fight about is my clothes and my sleep. Recently, we've been fighting more about my sleep than anything else. I go into work at 2pm every day at my full-time job, so I'm there relatively late. When I get home, I like to decompress, play video games, watch TV, work out, and make something light to eat. I don't always do all these things on the same day, but what I'm getting at is that I stay up late. If I get off work at around 11pm, I'll be home by 11.15pm and I won't go to sleep until around 3 or 4 in the morning, the latest being 4 if I'm with my boyfriend. She wakes me up every day between 6am and 9am. But it's never just once. She'll do it two to four times in the morning until I can't go back to sleep and I'm pissed. She doesn't even wake me up for important things. It's either to complain at me or make me do something for her. I've asked her time and time again to stop waking me up. I have a hard time going back to sleep. Could you please just let me sleep until 11am and when I'm up I'll do whatever it is you need me to do. But she never listens. Well, recently she's been having work done in her house. The workers are in their final stages, so they're just painting the house. Well, once again, she woke me up at 7.30am today by barging into my room and asking me to move her truck because the workers are here. I groan, get up, and throw on a nightgown that she doesn't like. We've had several fights about this nightgown because it's short, even though it's long enough to cover everything it needs to. I looked at myself in the mirror and thought about changing, but instead I smirked and thought to myself, if you can't respect my boundaries, why am I going to respect yours? I keep the nightgown on. I walk out of my room, move the truck, and go back inside. As soon as she sees me while I'm walking back to my room, she starts screaming. OP, you went outside like that? You're basically naked. Why do you hate me? She's standing in front of me trying to block my way from going into my room. I duck beneath her arms and ignore her. My mother starts following me while yelling about me living with her and my father so I can't be dressing like a whore around their house. Especially when my father and working men are around. 
I get into my room, close the door, and take off the nightgown so I'm completely naked about to lay back down. And my mom swings my door open, still trying to argue with me. I can't believe you would embarrass me like that. Put some effing clothes on, we're talking. I laugh in her face and close the door on her. She attempts to reopen the door so I grab the handle. She doesn't allow me to have locks on my door. Dude, no, I'm naked. We're not even talking. You're just yelling. I move the truck. Please leave me alone. She starts sobbing about how everyone is so mean to her. She hates her life, and she stomps off to my dad to complain about me. OP, you're moving out of your parents' house to live on your own? I really can't imagine why. Our next Reddit post is from Gadisthesia. I worked for a sucky airline company. Let's just make up a name. United Blair Lines. At this company, they started a smaller company that could hire and train people to run the planes, but pay them less at certain airports. While my colleagues at other airports were making over 20 bucks an hour, I was getting paid $10.25 for the same, and sometimes more, work. It honestly would scare you to know how little the people who make sure your plane takes off safely are paid. All of us had two to three jobs to be able to pay rent, and we were all doing this job just for the benefits. We got free flights anywhere in the country. Anyways, I had this boss. We'll call him Jim. I could tell many stories of how terrible of a boss he was, but this one has actual malicious compliance. I had to go to the hospital from the airport because of an intense pain in my stomach. It turns out that because of stress caused by my job, my intestines decided to stop functioning. Anyways, I spent the day at the hospital and they gave me a note saying that I didn't have to work the next two days. I told Jim's boss about that when I went back to work three days later. We only had five people to load all the luggage, load all the water, and push out five planes in a little over an hour. This was already an incredible amount of work for so few people. We had our morning work meeting to discuss how screwed we were, and then Jim asked me into his office. Your attendance is unacceptable, he said. Dumbfounded, I asked what he meant. You've been late a couple of times, and now you're missing the past three days. I said, Jim, I have a note from the hospital. According to work policy, that shouldn't affect my attendance. I don't care what work policy says. I'm gonna fire you. Again, I cited work policy since we were protected by a union. I said, Jim, you have to give me an attendance warning before you're allowed to fire me for attendance. This is the first time I'm hearing about attendance, so you can't fire me right now. Jim said, it doesn't matter. I'm gonna give you a warning now, and when I get back from vacation next week, you're gonna be fired. Now get back to work. My decision is final. So I told my coworkers what happened. Then I decided, all right, well, if he's going to fire me next week, then I'll just leave now. Even though my colleague's day was about to be screwed since now four people were working five planes, they all said don't worry about it to just leave. So I left and went to get breakfast. This all happened at around 4 a.m. As I'm enjoying my meal, Jim calls me. I happily ignore it. He calls me three more times and then texts me asking me where I was. I told him, you fired me. Why would I keep working for you? No response. I try to enjoy the mental image of Jim running between the planes like a chicken with his head cut off. I don't imagine any plane took off on time that morning. I get a call from HR and the union rep and the general manager who's Jim's boss. They all said that Jim was wrong and asked me if I could come back to work it out. But quitting felt so good and I felt such weight lifted off my shoulders thinking about not working there anymore. So I never went back. And although this next part isn't so satisfying, it's more a testament of United Blair Line's complete lack of ethics. Jim got in really big trouble when he had a guy who had a shoulder injury and a doctor's note and told him several times that he couldn't do super heavy labor. 
Jim sent this guy to the back room by himself anyway. Imagine having to lift 500 bags over your head per hour and each one weighed 50 to 70 pounds, all while running between bag carts and the belts. Needless to say, the guy tore his shoulder and had to get surgery on it. They still didn't fire Jim. Instead, they promoted him to management. As far as I know, Jim still works for United. My coworker still can't move the way that he used to two years later. Does anyone else ever get the feeling that the best way to get promoted to manager is to just be a terrible person and stop caring about your fellow human beings? Our next Reddit post is from eWhiskeyM. So, I'm a dental assistant for a private practice. Let me just preface this by saying that most of our patients are wonderful people. Friendly, happy to see us. They respect our professional opinions and recommendations. But literally just like three hours ago, I had the biggest Karen in for what should have been a simple appointment. So when we do crowns, we prep the tooth beforehand and take an impression. Then that impression goes to a lab and the techs there make the crown. It takes two to three weeks for them to send the crown back. When we deliver the crown to the patient, the doctor and I try to crown it first to see how it fits. It's very rare that it fits perfectly. We almost always have to make some adjustments, shaving down the crown here and there, checking the space in between the teeth, checking the bite, etc. All of this is standard. The main tool that we use is called articulating paper. When the patient bites down on it, we can see heavy blue markings where the bite needs to be adjusted. The more we adjust it, the lighter these marks get, and it even stops making marks altogether sometimes. Most exchanges with patients are like this. How's it feel? It's a little high. Okay, we'll adjust that. We use the articulating paper, then grind the crown down a little. How's it feel now? Oh, feels much better. Okay, cool, let's cement it in. This takes maybe five minutes at most. This lady we had tonight was having none of it. How's it feel? Ugh, it's way off. Okay, we'll adjust it. How's it feel now? The same. Uh, really? No change? The same. Okay, no biggie. Let's adjust it more. We did this maybe for five minutes over and over and she kept insisting that it was exactly the same. No change. Even though the marks were gone at this point, meaning that her teeth were no longer even touching the crown. At this point, we had a couple of options which the doctor presented to her. The doctor said, Okay, well, I can keep adjusting the crown. The only issue is that if I keep reducing the porcelain on top, the metal underneath might end up showing. Are you okay with that? No! Okay, well, I need to make a small adjustment to the tooth above this one so they don't touch. It's very superficial. No, do not touch my other teeth! We do this all the time, ma'am. It doesn't harm the teeth. We're basically just polishing it. No, that's a lie. If you guys did it correctly the first time, you wouldn't have to adjust it at all. Ma'am, we do this for everyone. The lab almost never makes them perfectly. We either have to adjust the crown itself or the opposing teeth. No, you screwed me! I said, well, we have to adjust one or the other, so which do you prefer? Do you want metal showing? No! So we can polish the opposing tooth? No! It'll literally only take a few seconds. No, you're lying! It's gonna harm my teeth! At this point, the doctor suggested getting the office manager to talk to Karen. Our office manager is an awesome lady. She's old, doesn't care, and is only two years away from retirement. I told her the situation and she laughed and said, Okay, let's make her wait another month. I don't care. So she marched right in there and said, Okay, ma'am, since you don't want this crown, we'll send it back to the lab and have them redo it. So instead of just waiting the 60 seconds for us to adjust, she now has to wait three weeks for us to come in again. And that's just to re-prep the tooth. Then she has to wait another three weeks for the crown to come back from the lab again. 
Instead of just being nice, cooperative, and respectful, this woman just had to be a Karen about it. Because that's what everyone wants in their life. More dentist appointments. That was r slash malicious compliance, and if you like this content, check out my Patreon where I publish extra episodes. Also, be sure to follow my podcast, because I put out new Reddit podcast episodes every single day.